Welcome to the C3V podcast. You see, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, it, it sort of happens when there's a revival atmosphere, and, and in the Jesus movement, we, were, we certainly were weird, deranged, and, um, you know, quite out there somewhere. It was a, it was a powerful move of God on the uh, late 60s, early 70s uh, hippie, uh, movement, and which I was a part of, I was an art student at the time. And, you know, we were given to ecstatic utterances. Now, yes, speaking in tongues was, was fairly normalized uh, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, we usually spoke very loudly in tongues wherever we went, whatever we did, whenever we prayed. But there were also other kinds of little outbursts. And, and I got known, I got known as this freakish uh, Jesus kid. Um, you know, 18, 19, I think I was, um, for, for shouting glory. Uh, it was just like any time I, I got a, a, a sense or whiff of the presence of God, it would go, glory, you know, and I, I kind of, it was, it, it, you know, it was, I could control it, but it was almost involuntary. It, it was, certainly didn't go through the brain. It went out the mouth before I realized how loud and uh, enthusiastic I was sounding and and there was a lovely Presbyterian minister's wife who used to attend our Jesus meeting, uh, people meetings. You know, she was, the, she was like, um, you know, I have to say a fossilized teenager amongst this group. And uh, she was this, you know, she, she was, her name was Stella. Stella loved me. And she used to call me her glory boy. Now, I don't know how that sounds really in today's vernacular, but anyway... Uh, I was the glory boy, and, and you know, it was kind of like if I was going down through the, the town or something, and somebody from the, 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 the Jesus people groups or whatever saw me, they'd just go, glory, and of course they would just go, Pushing, glory, you know, because mine sort of made them feel embarrassed for having uh, pulled the string, and so I was this glory boy, this shouting glory, well, um, it was... I don't know quite when, but back there in those days, I uh, found a historic precedent for my uh, uh, ecstatic and spontaneous outbursts um, in a fellow called Billy Bray, a 19th century uh, preacher uh, in Cornwall, uh, England. And he had been a drunkard. Uh, he was a miner. Uh, that doesn't mean he's a little kid. He, he worked in the coal mines. You know what I mean. And, uh, you know, do I have to explain? But anyway... Um, this, this guy had had a really rough and tough life and uh, was well known for his drunkenness and so on. But he got wonderfully saved by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. He turned right around and he lived in the parable of his own life for 43 years. He was a rough diamond, you know, something mined out and uh, he became this amazing preacher who didn't quite get it together with language and so on but he was a revivalist, and he was given to shouting glory. Now, when I heard this, I thought, oh, yes. Oh, you know. But um, uh, in, in, in his preaching, he would interrupt himself and do it. Um, you know, it's like saying, I really like what I preach. Amen, Fletch. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and then he would often sing it too. He'd put, you know, tone into it and glory, you know, and and this kind of a thing. And somebody once went to him and said, you know, you can't sing. You need to, you need to stop this. Uh, you know, you're not good at that. They had a shot at him for it. 
And he shot straight back. He said these words, God would just as soon as hear a crow as a nightingale. I'll sing all I want to sing. And if I shut my mouth and my feet, my, and, uh, and if I shut my mouth, my feet would still shout. Every time my left foot hits the ground, it says amen. And every time my right foot hits the ground, it says glory. I just can't help myself. Now, perhaps he's most well-known, Billy Bray is most well-known for this statement. And you know, I love this one. If you were to put me in a barrel, I would shout glory through the bunghole. That's my kind of guy, you know. Glory through the bunghole. Well, I want to tell you I found a little bit of a biblical precedent this glory boy has. In Psalm 29 and verses 1 to 11, I want to read it to you. That's where I'm going this morning. Psalm 29, 1 to 11. If you want to open your Bibles there, if you want to follow along on your phone, wherever you've got your Bible, stick with me. We're going to shout at the storm this morning. Oh, God. And again, just to contextualize a little bit more seriously, we, we came into this building with an amazing journey of faith and uh, being led into it. And, you know, it's audacious to say that, but there were some really amazing circumstantial things that pulled together. And Glenn praying for the city hall, uh, the new mayor was wonderful this morning because um, at the time, quite some years ago, that we were looking for buildings, I'd gone to city hall on numbers of uh, you know, applications for buildings in the, in the downtown area we've been operating out of the movie theater. And uh, we were quite substantially larger than what we are at this very moment. And, and as I went to City Hall to, to get permissions and so on to start applications on buildings, I got told very straightly from the top level, we do not want churches, new churches, to start in the CBD. We do, want, do not want new churches to start in the central business district of Vancouver. And I said, well, what are we supposed to do? We've been around like 15 years in your theaters and so on. What are we supposed to do? And they said, well, just go out of town. Find a church that's selling a building. You can get into one of those perhaps. And the, the attitude was very dismissive. I understand what the zoning issues are. I suppose in their minds they could see uh, weddings falling out on the street or if not that, funerals and all sorts of things that they, you know, I understand, I understand. I, they don't get us and uh, I wasn't about to uh, get them at that point even though I understood them. And so at the end of the day, this is where we ended up by the good hand of God upon us by some amazing leadership um, of a couple in our church that have helped us so much, um, Mike and Nat Dimbleby. And we came in here and this place was a haunted house. It was locked up. It had been left uh, for quite some years since uh, Open Bible had it. And you preached an Open Bible, I believe, uh, since they had it. And uh, one of the miracles was is we didn't have to seek zoning change at all. We just had to change the name. And uh, when we came in here, we pulled up the carpets, did a whole bunch of renovations. A lot of long story, but a great story of how God even supplied. And some, a large amount of money came into our account from completely outside of the church. Someone I didn't even know uh, left a legacy towards us as a church. And that came in. And here's what my point is. That paid complete rent for us, you know, in terms of the existence and functions of this building as a church right through 
to this very day from before, well before, several years before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hits, right? And then everything sort of gets flipped upside down. We don't have chairs going to the back or out to the sides anymore. It's a slow comeback. Uh, had a good summer. Some people are still waking up after that good summer. And, you know, it's been a, it's been a challenge. It's been, while it's been slow, it's been a storm. It's been a lot of convergence of things. Pandemic, slow comeback, because there's a financial challenge of that, yet we have this finance financing the building. The, the operational costs are a challenge, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I became 70, and I'm now the oldest living pastor in the C3 movement who sort of always has a transition a little bit earlier than my age and stage. But, you know, the, I held the helm through the storm of the... The pandemic didn't want to pass that off to anybody else to have to do. And uh, so we've, we've, we've come to this point and recently announced that Glenn and Sue's are, are succeeding us in the, in the leadership of the church by the appointment of God, by the endorsement of the, 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 the movement. And Patty and I are hoping to get a little bit of a season of break, but we don't retire, we refire, we keep going, we keep doing stuff. But a lot of things have converged and it's been, it's been nuts. And talk about being tossed to and fro, you know, uh, and, and saying, how, you know, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to, you know, what's going to happen? And, and then I, I, every morning around somewhere, and I'm not exaggerating here, somewhere between 4.30 and 5, I usually get up and just start to meditate in the Word. And I, I tell you, I, I can't do without that hour and a half sometimes period of just, feeding, reading, you know, hearing, listening, what God would say to me. And the Psalms have been hugely important to me uh, during this time. And just this last week, I was into Psalm 29. That's where we're going here. And let me just kind of talk to you out of the journey as we're in this upheaval time, as we're making transitions and changes and having got through the worst of the the whole pandemic thing um, and all that it's done to us, we're still here. We're still going. We're still holding in. But better than that, God has never lost the plot. And Jesus never even got shifted sideways on his throne. He didn't bat an eyelid, you know. And whatever people may think and what it's done to the churches and so on, I'm just coming back always to what his word says about him. And so let's have a look here. Psalm 29, verses 1 to 11. Give unto... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a bit of a, a translation in here. It says, give unto the Lord, with the definite, definite article, uh, the Lord, the proper name. But, but, but listen, it's the word Yahweh. It's the word Yahweh. And I think the naming of God in this text is is better for what the text is doing than to, than to pull back and say, the Lord. So let me just do it this way. Give unto Yahweh, O you mighty ones. Give unto Yahweh glory <laughs> and strength. Give unto Yahweh the glory due his name. Worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of majesty. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Yes, Yahweh splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon 
and Syrian, or Mount Hermon, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh divides the flames of fire. I think every Pentecostal loves that one. The voice of Yahweh shakes the wilderness, and maybe that one too. The vo- <laughs> Yahweh shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bear, bear, <laughs> bear, 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 bear. Australian accents getting in the road. Bear. And in his temple, everybody says, Glory! Yahweh sat enthroned at the flood, and Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Quite an ending to a dramatic psalm. Now let me give you a rundown of what's going on here. Verses 1 and 2, where it says, you know, give unto the Lord and glory and honor, that exhortation there. And, and also it says, in the beauty, worship him in the beauty of holiness. And then down in verse 9, where we just made a point of saying it, and in his temple, everyone says, glory. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 and verse 9, and then down into verses 10 and 11, it talks about the Lord being seated in his throne. What we've got here is a temple setting. What we've got is this psalm is set in the temple, but uh, David wrote the psalm, so the temple was not yet built. So there's either prophetic inclinations going on here or uh, the idea is the tabernacle, all right? And probably at the writing of the psalm, the tabernacle was set up, Moses' tabernacle was set up on Mount Gibeon. And um, there was something about this tabernacle that's important to our our progress here this morning as we share this. But uh, the Holy of Holies was in the far reaches, far end of the tabernacle. Okay, you might know those things from your Sunday school days. Um, but it, it was called sometimes the beauty of holiness. In fact, in the previous psalm, Dave goes, David goes, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord. It wasn't just an aesthetical thing. Um, it wasn't just a beautific experiential thing. I think it was all of those things, but I don't think that's what the, the issue was. There was... This is language describing the Holy of Holies. And in particular, the the glory of God that rested on the mercy seat, the throne of God, the seat of God on the ark that was in the Holy of Holies. And so it was called the beauty of holiness, all right? And this psalm is set in the the tabernacle, in the beauty of holiness, where it says there, um, give in the very first stanza, Give unto Yahweh, O you mighty ones. The mighty ones is, is pretty much understood to be talking about angelic being. Give unto Yahweh, you angels. You know, ascribe glory, you angels. Sing, you angels. Shout, you angels. Um, bring honor and, and glory to the Lord. You know, the tabernacle, um, that, that angel motif was everywhere. When you passed through as a priest, and only the priest could go because it was a a very exclusive domain to the priest. 
that could go in beyond the veil and uh, the, the first curtain. And when they got in there, embroidered up on the covering on the, over the roof were angels. And as you went on through, when you got as the high priest only could go into the Holy of Holies, there where the glory of God sat, the Bible says he's, the glory of God was between the wings of the cherubim. And that, on, the, on the ark were these sculpted uh, angels, cherubim. And so when we think about the angels in the tabernacle, that motif was everywhere. Um, I've got to just tell you, they're here. They're here, but they're not in motif. They're here. You know, we, 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 we're not into necessarily trying to engage them. They are servants of God. But we believe that they are real servants of the Lord, these mighty ones, these angels. And so this, star, this psalm is in that whole setting of the, the angels and of the presence of God. And there's this uh, threefold or triple call for the angels to lift up their voice, to, to ascribe or to attribute honor and glory uh, up to, to Yahweh. That's verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3 to 9, the psalm, so that was the setting of the psalm, but the psalm gets into a kind of a theme about a storm or about storms. And let me tell you what's going on here in verses 3 to 9 where it says the, the voice of the Lord is, you know, comes up from the waters or over the waters. The voice of the Lord, the, 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 the Lord is over the uh, thunders and then all the things that happen as a result of this powerful, amazing voice of the Lord. So let me tell you what's going on here. The, the, th the psalm is themed in this whole thing of an electrical storm. I don't know whether you like electrical storms, but where I grew up as a kid, we used to have some beauties. And we were kind of nuts and stupid. Uh, we used to climb this big macrocarpa tree. They're kind of a bit like a cedar of Lebanon, very woody, thick, big tree with huge branches. And on our farm, we'd climb this thing and sway in the branches as these big thunderclouds would be roaring across. I mean, it's crazy because lightning always hits trees, right? And... Um, We'd be up there, sometimes we'd roll out into the long grass and we'd watch all the lightning strikes across the, the landscape in front of us. There's something pretty awesome about, a, about an electrical storm. And in this psalm, there's a kind of a tracking of the weather systems that move. You see there in uh, verse 3, uh, the, the voice of Yahweh is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. Yahweh is over the many waters. What it's talking about there is, is, is the Mediterranean the sea, the many waters, the sea, and in the sort of topographical and geographical whatever analysis of this psalm, it's like this. The, 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 the thunderstorms arise across from the sea and, and move over the territory. And the next thing is it says about the splintering the cedars of Lebanon. It moves into the high uh, Lebanon ranges, which are in the northern part of the Holy Land. And, and, and as the storms come up out of the sea, they come up into the high country of, of the Lebanon and uh, so the, storm, the, the, the storms are tracking across the, the, the landscape here. Um, you know, we live in North Van, and every now and again, maybe two or three times a year, we get a big bank up of a thunderstorm on the coast mountains here. And man, does she suddenly explode in lightning and thunder that ripples right through the apartment building. Everything shakes. Quite amazing. So this is what the Psalms sort of kind of getting into this, the storms as they're moving from west through the east through the holiday. And then it says there um, in, uh, what is it, verse, verse 8, it, it shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. In other words, 
it moves from the sea, from the Med, uh, through the, the, the Lebanon range, out into the, the northern Kadesh, and a wilderness out there. And so what we've got here is a tracking of the storm. The psalmist is very familiar with this. Now, I don't know whether David was a bit like me in his youth, lying, lying out in his father's farm watching the storms and getting some kind of thrill of it. But this, this, is, this is knowledge for David. This is, he knows this. He knows this uh, and, and, and what it is. And it it's kind of builds a metaphor in him. He, he can see this. He's, he, he's not given to seeing that this is some just pure natural force. He's given to seeing beyond it. And that, that brings me to a little bit of a point because in that whole area, region, um, uh, in terms of the Canaanites that lived in those areas, um, there was the worship of Baal. And of course, Baal was the, the, the god of the storm or the storm god, you see. And it's very interesting that seven times, from in verses 3 to 9, seven times it says the voice of Yahweh. You know, seven, you know, you're Christians, you know that seven's a very good number in the Bible. You know, it's talking somehow of, of God's number, the completion, the complete of God. And so somehow it's a, it's a number that's associated very much with, with God. And seven times he uses this phrase, the voice of Yahweh. That's why I said it's better to use the name than the title. Because there was people all around that were using Baal. And he goes, you know, God of the storm. Let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Yahweh. That was quite a good little bit of a Trinitarian faux pas there. It works well, actually. But Yahweh is not merely storm God. Because you'll notice that Yahweh is over the waters. He's over the storms. You know, Yahweh is... Um, I've got, I've got to put it another way. He's no tin-bit God. He's over any tin-bit God. He's probably over it too, but, you know, he's over it. He's over any other cause. And this is what we do with storms. This is what we do with inclement things. This is what we do with succession of difficulties. This is what we do when you're trying to get somewhere and something stops you like you just have to go up to the hospital and you'd go, oh, that devil. Well, I'm not, I'm not averse to eyeballing the devil and saying, get lost here. But when we do these things, like rebuke the devil, when we, when we make deductions out of the storms, just don't lose fact, sight of this fact that you have a God and you and I love a God who's over the storm. And you're on, you're on, um, you're, I'm going to say, you're on his side. That's just that easy, right? And there's another psalm which says he rides upon the clouds. He rides upon the storms. He's over it. He's not even God of the storm. He's not somehow intricately part of this mess up as if it's an expression of himself. He's, he's over that which actually means you can call on him and say, you're over this? He says, yes. Can you do something? Yes. Will you do something? Ask me. He's over the storm. And you know, we've been beaten, bashed, pushed, slapped. Man, I tell you. you know, I sometimes feel like I'm preaching to the thousands in the balcony, which we no longer have. 
But the angels are here. All right? And, and, and we've got to start to speak and shout to our storm. We've got to do a bit of Billy Bray. Now, this is a kind of an interesting thought. It starts off in the tabernacle. It starts off exhorting the angels to, to let loose and ascribe glory and honor to God. And it's like when you are in worship, in the beauty of holiness, that worship becomes the doorway of vision. That worship becomes the gate into the prophetic. What happens in worship? You come through that door. He should have seen me this morning. I mean, we get up, we leave home usually just after 8, you know, for an 11 o'clock start. It doesn't take all that many hours to get here, but we get here real early, we get our coffee, we hang in here, prepare, and so on. This morning was mayhem, right? Everything. You can hear the sounds. You know, and you just, you just think you're getting somewhere, and suddenly you're not. You suddenly, you just think you're on a growth spurt. You just think in your own life, this is good, this is happening for me. And then things start to converge and knock it about and slap it down and push you aside. And You have to make other contingencies and all of this stuff starts to go on. And, and you know, you come into church and this happens so often. Julianne gets up here. And she just starts singing out of the sweetness of her spirit. I can't imagine really what you go through at home because I know the warfare to get that flow, it'll always cost. But when you two come in here, you stand it. How many times through the pandemic when they sang into the camera did we get letters from people saying, oh my goodness. What's happening? We're so touched by this. You see, when you, when you come into the worship, when you come into the beauty of holiness, when you stand and place yourselves into the presence, the angels are around you, and you're in there, and what happens? Your eyes open, and you're looking out on the same storms. The storms that people are attributing to Baal. The storms that people are attributing to the devil and this one and that one and the council and the city hall and the whatever and the renovators and the, de yeah. <laughs> uh, the developers bought the building right at the end of uh, at COVID and then put up a big sign saying we're going to drop the building. What else can happen to us? By December we're out. You know this, we've talked about it. You go, what? What? You come into the worship. And you, you find there's a lot of things that don't matter anymore. So what? This is what matters. And the gateway of vision, the doorway of the prophetic, and something begins to touch your spirit, and you start to see who's over all of this, working according to his grace and goodness and plan for your life and my life. Oh, thank God. And this is what happens. That's a perspective gained by being in the beauty of holiness. You know, I'm not for Sunday church in the way we you know, often negatively talk about it, but I really am for Sunday Christians. 
for people who will come to church. There's something about that fellowship, that intensity of the presence that comes where Jesus has promised to be there in the midst. There's something about being in the Spirit on the Lord's day in His house and you hear the voice and you turn to see the voice. And this psalm is so full of the voice. He's not just storm God. He's over the storm. He's over any other cause. And things get adjusted when you get into that interactive stance of being with Him and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of revelation and wisdom starts to work in you. You go out of here fortified because you stop getting ratted with everything else that's knocking you around and you go, oh God, there's a cause higher than this that's going on and you're going to do your will and I'm subscribing to it. I'm getting in on it. Oh, I think it's good, Adrian. You and I, at least. But that's a perspective gained by being in the Holy of Holies. I say out to the, the camera down the back, folks, if you're lying on your couch having your coffee watching this, you've got an easy road right now. But please, fellowship. Find fellowship. We're not the only church on the block. But get involved in church again. Get involved with people. Thank you, God. The people of God. Man, I thank you, Lord. You see, Yahweh uses the storms to carry out His will. Above it all, He's not lost the plot. He's not been shifted across the throne while somebody else takes the helm. And the angels in the air shot encourage us. Really, this is what's happening in the psalm. Those angels that are there, that are in that exclusive zone, they're encouraging us. They're saying to us, in a sense, through that verses 3 to 9, move with the clouds. Turn to see the voice, all that thundering. Turn to see where it's, it's not the thunder, it's over the thunder. Go with God. He's got this. Whatever's going down, He's got this. And so, verse 9 in the second half of it brings a twist to this narrative. Now, every good storm watcher loves a twister. Oh, yeah. You know. There's a twist in this whole part of the psalm. And the twist is this. Suddenly, at the end of verse 9, it says, And in his temple, everyone says glory. It started off exhorting angels in the exclusive zone of angels and priests. Now it's saying everybody. We've got this broad, encompassing, and inclusive statement. And in his temple, Everyone says glory. Who let everyone in there? How come everyone's in there now? Is it just everyone who's in there, like one priest? Who let everyone in there? It's not just that everyone's in on the revelation of what goes on in there and what God says and it gets brought out to them and the angels relate it or whatever. But everyone here in verse 9b is in the temple, is inside the house, is in the beauty of holiness. I think you know this pretty well. But King David is famous for removing the beauty of holiness from Mount Gibeon 
out of the tabernacle of Moses and bringing it over to Zion in the center or the citadel of Jerusalem. And what he did is when he lifted the beauty of holiness, the ark and the holy of holies, up and over here, he took it out of the exclusive zone into the inclusive zone. And he had a tent put over it with the flaps up. The Bible calls it the tabernacle of David. And what happened in the city? Everybody celebrated. Everybody connected. It wasn't the exclusive zone, neither was it just the angels. Now, I don't know what these angels up here thought. Hey, he's, he, what are you doing? I don't think they thought that at all because they are mysterious beings. They said, Let's go and see what's going on down here. You see, what was happening here in David's time, he removed the beauty of holiness out of that exclusive zone into a public access tent in Zion. And a celebration of that great occasion, he gets a whole, it's like he said, well, I've written a lot of psalms lately. He's got a compendium. He's got a, a psalter. And he says, I... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go and get excerpts out of a whole bunch of my psalms and I'll make a big celebratory psalm for this occasion. This is exactly what he did. First Chronicles chapter 16 has a massive long song, a long song, which is all excerpts from previously written psalms. And you know what he does? He takes Psalm 29... Verses 1 and 2. And he puts it into this long song at the celebration where taking it from exclusive to open access. And he's using that same sound. But, you know, he's got a bit of writer's license. You know, if you made the first version, you can change the next version just a tad little if you like. It's not tampering with the Word of God yet. And so in this version... And I don't know whether that uh, comparison can come up on the screen. But have a look at this. Psalm 29, 1 to 11 says, talking to the angels, give unto the Lord, you mighty ones, or angels, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the, glor the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, go across and look at the other side here. Give unto the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. And then he slips another one in there. Ah, he's a pastor. Bring an offering and come before him. I worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can see the differences. A slight change of phrase in the first line and the addition of a phrase somewhere down there near the end. One was spoken to angels, encouraging them in their ministry of glory and honor to God. The other one is calling for the people to join in as well because the way is made open. You know, David's tabernacle in Zion is the Old Testament or is an Old Testament metaphor of the church. Hebrews 12, 22, 23 tells us that you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church 
of the firstborn. So those seats that look empty next to you, they're not. There's more here than you can see here. I could put it another way. There's more going on than what you can see. There's absolutely more going on than what we can see. And in verse 9, be there. Everyone is shouting glory to the storm. Oh, my God. I'm going crazy again. See, it's not only the angels. Go with God. But this group is encouraged now. Go with God and get in on it. Go where he's going. Follow the track of the storm. Whatever its pathway seems to have been, you know, disrupting and devastating and all that sort of. Follow the track and look above it. God is up to something. And he's not lost the plot. Disturbing and disruptive as it may be. Oh, God. And only being in worship, only being in the, in the holy of holies, only being in the beauty of holiness, do we come out with this other view. The eyes are opened. And those storms then that rattle our cage are only kind of like audible reminders that above it is God. That His power and His majesty will be displayed and is being displayed. It says that in one of the texts there, in one of the lines in the psalm, about his power and his majesty in the voice of Yahweh. Ha, ha, ha. And so it comes right to this conclusion at the very end of the psalm. And this is really good to finish on. Because after all that, if you assimilate that, here's how... David makes the conclusion. Here's the summation of all that he's relating and even slipping back into 1 Chronicles 16 and its rendition. Here's how it ends. Verse 10 of Psalm 29. Yahweh sat enthroned at the flood. Let me just put in brackets. Never lost the plot. Never gave up. And in fact, the flood was used for a redemptive purpose in which the Bible says eight persons were saved. Hey, you've got to get happy about that. He's your great-grandfather. Salvation and worshipping of God is in your lineage. And so Yahweh sat enthroned at the flood, you know, the storm of all storms, Look how it resolves. And Yahweh sits as king forever. He didn't leave the throne in the current storms, in the tracking across from the Mediterranean to the Lebanon out to Kadesh and all the trees that got zapped and burned and splintered along the way. He didn't lose the plot. And he's on his throne. He's still in his seat. He's still in his seat. He's still in his throne. He's still in his mercy seat. He's in a seat which is for you. This is not the great white throne of judgment. This is the mercy seat of God. And this psalm sees it. Makes the last line. Verse 11. 
Yahweh will give strength to His people. Yahweh will bless His people with peace. His intention is to do you good. I have plans for you. To do you good. Move with the cloud, folks. Turn to the voice. See it. If you just allow me, just, just allow me a little bit of slippage. But remember it added that little line and bring an offering. You see, we ascribe glory to God. and The angels do that, but there's one thing they don't do and can't do. They don't bring an offering. They don't give of their substance. But God has made us productive and rulers. And He prospers us. And we're now in the worship as we join with the angels. We're given a sort of a little bit of a shot from David and bring an offering. Part of all this ascribing to God, hear what I'm saying here, is subscribing to what He's doing. You know, I know you've got little subscriptions for apps on your phone. But another sort of a better meaning for the word subscribe or subscription is to act in agreement with. Wow. And this psalm says, when you, when you see the storm and all that's gone on, shout at it, glory, subscribe. Ascribe glory to God and subscribe. Buy into where God is. Go with God. That's how I had enough of church. Get with the program. Get with God. Do what Glenn said. Let your heart move your hands. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce a benediction out of the book of Chronicles. This isn't an offering message, so we're not going to take up an offering. But it's so interesting in the flow of how we've gone through the challenges and so on to see. And I don't, I don't account for this. You've got to know, your pastor does not look out for who's tithing and how much. I never do that. I have a bookkeeper. Uh, nobody involved in our church, a bookkeeper. And the bookkeeper just slips out one time. So-and-so, so-and-so. I no longer call them another name. Subscribers, not the word subscriber. Well, I'm looking at Glenn. He was in the occasion, but no longer givers anyway. And I thought, I don't need to know this. But I know when they left. And that's not a rebuke on them. If they're going somewhere else, it belongs somewhere else. But if it belongs to God, what's happening? But here's the better side of what I'm trying to say. When you ascribe, when you are part of the house, when you love the beauty of holiness, when you come into that place of prophetic vision and insight and uplifted shift, when you get your view of God and who He is and what He's doing, you ascribe to Him and you subscribe. Your actions agree. And you give unto the Lord. This church is going forward. It's not going down. 
We're too hot on all the words he's said. Glenn said it. It's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. God ideas will outlast good ideas. Good ideas will be superseded by a better idea, but a God idea shall stand. What a marvelous psalm. Shout at the storm. Just like I was shouting glory all the way to church today. Glory. I ascribe and I subscribe. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.